Good morning. Sorry, my clicker was downstairs, so I had to dash out to try and get my clicker back. Uh, if you are just joining us for the first time this morning, we are uh, into our second week of looking at the final utterances of Jesus as he hung on the cross. We're taking the season of Lent and embracing it not just as we light candles, not just as we do uh, Lenten fasting and Lenten giving, but also in our teaching. We're aiming to, well, like it says there, to wrestle with the last words of Jesus from the cross because they're not easy. Last week's word was forsaken. That Jesus took our forsakenness upon himself in order that we would never be forsaken again. This week's word can be found in Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 35. If you have a Black Pew Bible, you can find it on page 858. I am going to put it on screen, but there's something nice about reading it out of your own Bible. Go for it. Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 35. Again, we're picking up the story partway through, right? It's, it's tough to just jump into meeting Jesus on the cross. There's so much that leads up to that. There's so much that, that has to be understood. Is that you, you really need to walk through the journey of that final week as he went to the cross. But here on Sunday morning, we're just sort of jumping in midway through the story. Luke 23, starting at verse 32, says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out to the place with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So this is crazy. Have we become so uh, familiar with these texts that the shock value is gone? Do you see what he said? They're nailing him to a cross and he prays forgiveness over them. The very ones he came to rescue are the ones who are nailing him to the cross. And in that moment, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I think this is a word that we have to wrestle with. I think our second word that we're dealing with is this idea of forgiveness. That in the midst of the, the sort of the, the apex of his torture, of his suffering, of his anguish, right in the middle, right at the high point of it, he prays forgiveness over those who are doing it to him. What in the world? Now, in some ways, this picks right up from last week. When we think about what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we just said, he took all of our forsakenness, all of our separation from God based on our sin. He took all of that upon himself so that we would never be forsaken again. Jesus accomplished our forgiveness. That's what he accomplished on the cross. So from the, sort of from the divine side of things, from the cosmic big picture, Jesus died and our sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. But there's also this human side of things. Right, Jesus, fully God and fully man. 
we understand the big picture divine side of what happened. This morning, I think we're being challenged to wrestle with the human side of what Jesus had to go through. And so often we brush over this part of the story. Oh yeah, he hung on the cross and he prayed this and then he went and, and we move right on through to Easter. Easter's a big deal. I can't wait. But we need to stop before we get there to wrestle with the full significance of what Jesus is saying from the cross. Because you know it wasn't easy for him. He wasn't just hanging there in agony and then suddenly the clouds part, a crepuscular ray of light shines down from the heavens as everyone quiets down to listen to what he has to say and then he looks benevolently upon his torturers and gathered accusers with a gentle beatific smile and invites the Father's forgiveness on these silly, wayward children of his. I'm pretty sure that's not how it went down. And in fact, I think a clue to how it went down is actually right in the text. And if you will forgive me, and if you will allow me to geek out here on a little bit of grammar, I promise it'll be worth it. I hope it'll be worth it. I can't promise that. You might hate it. But I want to focus in. We jump even so quickly to the Father forgive them. But I want to look at this piece where it says what Jesus said. Now, here comes Tim, Captain Geek. Okay. The Greek language has a perfectly good way of saying that something happened, like Jesus said. It's the aorist tense, and it's used to describe a completed action, right? So if it's like, hey, he said that once. Oh, look, he said it. It's completed. It's over. There are 250 times in the Gospel of Luke that someone says something, and it's in this aorist tense. At least most of them are in the aorist tense. 231 of them are in the aorist tense. And that makes perfect sense. He said it. It's what he said. He said it once and it's done. But that leaves 19 other times where the writer of the gospel does not use the aorist tense. He uses the imperfect. And you're all saying, oh, of course. No, you're saying move it along, Tim. 19 places where the imperfect is used. And the imperfect is different because it implies, it carries the nuance of incomplete action, of process, uh, an action that may be repetitive, that may be prolonged, or even just beginning, or it, it can be used to express repeated attempts. It's hard to capture in English, but it's sort of like the difference between she operated on her patient, right? That's complete. It happened. It's over. She operated, passed, versus she was operating on her patient, which is sort of like, oh, she was doing, there was a process there, right? Super subtle, right? But did he catch it? Or, or she had been operating on her patient. It sort of puts you into the middle of the verb as part of a process. So there are 19 times in the Gospel of Luke where the imperfect is used instead of the aorist. And it's used in places where it makes sense. There are repeated attempts going on. Places where it says, Jesus said. One of them is whenever Jesus is talking to crowds. Oftentimes, it's, and Jesus continued. He was always talking to crowds, something he did again and again and again. And so it makes perfect sense. The imperfect is used. Oh, and Jesus was talking to another crowd, right? Or you move on, to, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. And he says, and what can I compare the kingdom of God to? What is the kingdom of God like? He's always talking about the kingdom of God 
in a repeated sort of ongoing, it's a theme that he repeats often. The imperfect is used here. Or even parables. A lot of the time in Luke, Luke 5, 13, 14, 16, 18, a lot of the time in Luke, the imperfect is used because it's sort of like, and Jesus kept talking in parables. And, Je- and he told another parable, and Jesus is still talking in parables, that it's a continuous process, not just a one-time thing that happened and is over. So what the imperfect is used primarily for things that Jesus talked about over and over again. So that was me geeking out. But now consider the implications of the fact that here in our text, it is the imperfect that is used. Here in the text, the word that is used, the verb is in a tense that implies not a single completed action, but something that carries the nuance of process. If you think about translating it, you could really translate, well, I guess you can translate it Jesus said. That's a completely legitimate translation. You can trust your Bibles. They're not wrong. But other translational options, Jesus was saying. Okay, so now it's more, you hear, it's just more of a process there. Or Jesus had been saying. Or what if Jesus began to say? Or, or Jesus continued to say? Or Jesus was saying again and again. Now, to be fair, Greek has ways of saying again and again, and those are not used here. So we're talking about nuance, not a mistranslation. But here's the hypothesis. What if this wasn't some glorious, singular, magnanimous proclamation from the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But instead, when we look at what Jesus said, it was something that he was groaning through his pain something he needed to repeat over and over again as the anguish continued. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Reminding himself of what it was all for. Stealing himself through this ordeal with this plea to the Father to forgive. What if forgiveness wasn't some magic pronouncement even from the Son of God? What if it was more of a process, something that had to be chosen again and again, something we begin but that is not completed quickly? What if forgiveness is hard? What if forgiveness is hard? Well, that actually might make some other comments Jesus made about forgiveness a little easier to understand and swallow. Because while we are quick to celebrate the forgiveness that has been extended to us, we're a little bit less quick when it comes to forgiving others and obeying Christ in that arena. Forgiveness is what Jesus accomplished and we celebrate it. But it gets a little uncomfortable when you realize forgiveness is also something that Jesus commanded. He modeled it for us on the cross and then he commands us to follow his example. And they're common verses, right? The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, we pray it all the time, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. That sounds great until you get to the next line. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And the problem here is that little word as, meaning in the same way that we forgive others God, forgive us. Oh, no. 
that starts getting a little dangerous. That somehow our forgiveness is impacted by our ability, by our willingness to forgive others. And maybe we could sidestep it if it was just this one verse. You probably can't, even if it's one verse. But if you did, look what he says later, like right after the prayer. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What was that? If you do not forgive, then neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. This is dangerous. This is serious. Or consider the most famous math equation in the Bible. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or seven times, 70 times. Or 490. So if you can get to 491, you can stop forgiving. Not the point. Or how about in a worship context? We've gathered for worship here. But in Mark, Jesus says, and when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Even the Apostle Paul picks up the refrain, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's our tie to the cross. Father, forgive them. Jesus prays forgiveness over us and expects that we will extend that same forgiveness to others. Forgive. It is a command. We must. If we don't, it will kill us. It it seems to imply that we're deceiving ourselves if we think we've accepted Jesus' love for us, yet we continue to hold on to and even nurse grievances against others. It shows we haven't accepted the forgiveness of God for our sins if we're not able to forgive others theirs. It shows that Jesus isn't actually Lord if we don't obey His commands or if we're just picking and choosing the commands that we'd prefer to follow while ignoring the hard ones. And let me tell you something you already know. This is one of the hard ones. The command to forgive is one of the hard ones. So let me frame it positively. Forgiveness is life. Let me frame it negatively. Unforgiveness is death. It's death to your soul. It's death to your identity. It's death to who you are. And I'm really not trying to be melodramatic here. You saw the scriptures. They're not messing around. There are real-world human consequences to unforgiveness. It will kill you, and it will eat you up inside. What if, here's a crazy thought, what if forgiveness isn't about the person that you're forgiving? What if it isn't about trying to give them some sort of absolution or someone to make them feel, what if forgiveness isn't about them at all? What if forgiveness is about you? What if forgiveness is about what God needs to do in your heart? Because then we're not talking about just forgiveness, we're talking about wholeness. We're talking about healing. We're talking about what it means to have a a life that is completely transparent before God and others. 
And so often we find ourselves holding on to our pain and our resentment and our woundedness. And I can't even be critical of that because if you've been hurt, you never want to be hurt again. And so we put up walls around our hearts to keep them safe, to keep them from being hurt again so that our hearts will never be broken again and that may feel safe for a time. But while you're in your safety, in your shielded place, something is still happening to your heart. C.S. Lewis says it better than I could. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, Safe, but dark and motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. It may seem like you're staying safe. And I suppose a heart that's turned to stone is technically safe. But is that really the win? Please don't hear this as an accusation. This is a description of what happens when we allow unforgiveness to go unchecked. When unforgiveness remains, this is what happens to our hearts. You don't even have to take it from me. You can take it from Marcus. You guys remember Marcus? Marcus and Annie. They came to our church while he was at seminary. He was a refugee from Liberia, Western Africa. He had to flee because of the Civil War. His story is powerful because he had to flee because rebels got hold of his father and brutally murdered him. And for 18 years, he fled as a child, and for 18 years growing up in America, he dreamed of nothing but going back over to Liberia, finding the man who killed his father so he could murder him. And unforgiveness was consuming Marcus from the inside out. Marcus actually gave a TED Talk this past November in Denver. It's on TEDx. So if you look up TEDx Mile High and type in Marcus Doe, you can hear his whole story. But at one point, a, a grief counselor challenged him and said, Marcus, do you think you can live the rest of your life like this, consumed by hate and revenge, consumed by unforgiveness? And Marcus describes the moment where he remembers Jesus' words, saying, and if you don't forgive, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. And Marcus realized he was being called to forgive the man who murdered his father. Now, that was not an immediate thing. It's not a switch you throw and suddenly forgiveness is there. It was not easy. Forgiveness is not per forgetting what happened. It's not denial. It's not brushing things under the carpet. It's not, it's not pretending. Marcus actually says in his talk, forgiveness is not naive. Right? It's, not, it's not denial. It's not just glossing over it and moving forward. Forgiveness is facing the issues that have happened in your life. 
working through them to a place where God actually empowers you to forgive. Marcus says, forgiveness is not naive, it is courageous. He continues by saying, no one deserves to be defined by the worst moments of their lives. So it might be forgiving someone else who has hurt you more deeply than you can possibly express. It might be forgiving yourself for decisions you've made, people you've hurt. Either way, forgiveness is what Jesus commands. And we're to do it because he is Lord, so we obey. And we do it because if we don't, our hearts will corrode and die. Now, I do want to offer two quick comments here, and I am not going to go deep into these, but when you're talking about forgiveness, I think both warrant being mentioned. The first is, what about justice? Do they just get off scot-free if I forgive them? And the answer here I would propose to you is that forgiveness is not an exemption from justice. There are consequences to actions. Forgiveness does not exempt people from those consequences. And in most cases, those consequences should be carried through. Justice does not erase what happened. Therefore, the consequences oftentimes remain. And in most cases, they're unavoidable anyways. But if you're pursuing justice without forgiveness, sometimes it degenerates just into revenge into a desire to hurt someone else like you've been hurt. Forgiveness is not an exemption from justice, but it is the necessary complement to it. Forgiveness is what allows justice to be pure, untainted by our own desire that others should hurt as much as we do. You wanna know something unjust? The one who has been wounded continues to wither with a blackened heart long after the wounding is over. That's also an issue of justice. And forgiveness is what overturns that injustice. The other case, and again, I can't go deep into it, but what about abuse? There's no place in the kingdom of God for domestic violence. That kind of abuse is literally the exact opposite of the self-giving love that the Lord Jesus modeled for us, even to the point of dying for us on the cross. There is no place in the kingdom of God for it. But you know what there is place in the kingdom of God for? You know what there is place in the church for? There is room for people who are hurting in abusive relationships. There is room for people who are trying to figure out what the next steps are to secure safety for them and for the people they love. And this is going to sound crazy, there's even room for people who are perpetuating abuse. Don't misunderstand me. The abuse must stop. Separation is usually necessary. But they matter too. And there's healing that they need. Love involves addressing abuse and asking for help. It is not loving to allow someone to continue an abusive cycle.
And you can forgive without remaining in an abusive relationship. Which means while the relationship might need to draw to a close, forgiveness is still necessary for us to be whole. Again, I can't go, you know, it's hard to just touch that on the way by. But what I'm saying is, what I'm describing is something that seems impossible. Right? This is highlighting the impossibility. You might say, Tim, I get it. Uh, I get that Jesus accomplished forgiveness for me. I'm good. I even get that Jesus commands forgiveness that I must extend to others. And that would be easy if all they did was break my favorite mug or steal a couple bucks from my wallet. But you don't know, Tim. You don't know what I've been through. And you're absolutely right. I just know the one who does. Jesus has been through incomprehensible mocking, betrayal, torture, even unto death, and his death accomplished our forgiveness. And therefore, Jesus commands his followers to forgive others, to allow the wonder and the gratitude at our own forgiveness to be something that actually overflows like fresh, crisp water pouring over us even into the most painful areas of our lives, even there. But most importantly of all, Jesus doesn't just command it. He makes it possible. His very presence, the Holy Spirit of Jesus living and abiding in us. He doesn't just command it and leave us on our own to somehow try and change our own hearts. That would be cruel. But this is the Jesus who said, surely I am with you to the very end of the age. This is the Jesus that dwells within us as the Holy Spirit that is going to be at work changing our hearts and bringing us to the place where forgiveness, which was impossible, becomes possible because nothing is impossible with God. And that's why I think God used the imperfect. Remember the imperfect? We geeked out about it just a few minutes ago. As Jesus hanging on the cross in the process of praying forgiveness over his abusers, praying forgiveness over a sinful world, something that might have just been beginning or is prolonged or required repeated attempts, something that is a process. Forgiveness, what if that for us is not just a simple action that's completed, one and done, but what if forgiveness is a process? What if it's more like the imperfect? Yes, we could say, I forgive, absolutely. And sometimes we need to. Sometimes we just need to get over it. Sometimes we just need to make the decision to forgive and to move on. But more often I find it is more like I am in the process of forgiving. Or you might say, I've only, I've, I've only just begun. Cut me some slack here. I've got some work to do. But I've taken a first step. Or what if it's I, I'm, I'm trying to forgive. It's not going for... What if it's I'm scared but I'm willing to try to forgive, or maybe I'm praying that the Lord will get me to the place where I might even begin to want to try to forgive. Or maybe you find yourself saying, I am forgiving again and again, and I keep having to return to this because I guess I haven't quite forgiven yet. 
I believe forgiveness is one of the hardest things a human being will ever have to do. And it becomes exponentially harder the worse you've been hurt. So don't think for a minute that I am presenting this as a simple solution that you can all go and do likewise this week. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's necessary. I'm saying it is the only way to try and find true freedom and to actually live into this abundant life that the Lord Jesus has invited us into and paid the way for. And I'm saying Jesus makes it possible because His Spirit is in you. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead can raise your heart from the grave of the cage in which it is hiding. I would, I would like you to take two minutes right now. I'm going to pray over us. And it's going to be a dangerous prayer. I'm going to ask the Lord to show us where there's unforgiveness in our hearts. We might be focusing on it and feeding it and even drawing some kind of strength from it. Or we might be hiding from it or ignoring it, or trying to forget about it. It might even be the challenge of looking ourselves in the mirror and forgiving ourselves. But I'm going to ask that Jesus reveal a specific name in your lives. Because hanging on that cross, Jesus spoke forgiveness over those who were crucifying him. Hanging on that cross, Jesus spoke forgiveness over us. Who might you need to forgive? Lord Jesus, in this moment, we, we trust that this is not just an academic exercise, that what we're doing is trying to get our hearts ready to hear from you and to be responsive to your leading. In this moment of silence, Lord, I ask that you would reveal specific names of people that we need to forgive even as we're asking that, Lord, I ask your protection over our hearts. It's a dangerous thing to, to, to drag this up. So protect our hearts. Give us our anchor. Our, wrap us in your loving arms. Help us feel safe to do this even here because you are good and your love endures forever. In this silence, Lord, we invite you to speak. Jesus, all that's running through my head is I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Meet us in this place where forgiveness is required and begin to shape us, begin to move us towards that reality that will set us free. In your precious name, amen. What if, for Lent, you didn't just give up Facebook? What if for Lent, you didn't just give up coffee? What if for Lent, you gave up your resentment? What if for Lent, you finally laid down your hate? What if for Lent, you laid down your pain and your hurt 
and your loss at the feet of the only one who can actually take it. Or maybe more accurately and more imperfectly, what if you begin to lay down your hate and your resentment and your loss? I would invite you to share with someone this week, whether it's in your small group, whether it's just picking somebody you trust, reveal to them somebody you need to forgive and pray together. You don't have to have it all done. That's not the point. We're imperfect people. We're people in process. But we do live in a community that God has ordained for us. And we can carry one another's burdens. At the cross, Jesus accomplished our forgiveness. Jesus commands us to forgive others, and then he actually makes it possible by indwelling within us. Can you imagine what that would mean to Jesus as we celebrate Lent? Can you imagine his response if we work to forgive the way he has? Do you know how much he would delight in that? Do you know how proud he would be of you? That's all I got.